Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. For a lot of people, Thanksgiving is a, it's a great time. You get together and you get to see family members that you haven't seen in a while. Uh, some of you are out traveling and, and will be traveling and getting to go to different places. And some of you may even be able to go to a warmer place for Thanksgiving and be able to escape some of the cold that's here. But for some people, Thanksgiving isn't the most joyful time. For some people, it's, it's surrounded by grief that there's a lost loved one who won't be sitting at the table this year. For some people, it's surrounded by frustration and things uh, and, and broken relationships. Like For some people, there's a sense of dread of going into the uh, family member that they haven't seen in a while. And it's not because they live a far distance away. It's because they chose not to see them for a while. You know, many of our homes, there's, there's brokenness and there's, there's uh, issues and things and, and dissensions and divisions and things that are inside of our homes. And so as we're talking about having unity among the body of Christ, I think it's important for us to understand that uh, the, the body of Christ is only going to be unified as what our homes are and what our families are. You know, one of the core values of our church is that we have healthy homes and families. And when you go through the Connect class, we talk about the fact that that uh, families are only as healthy as the, or the church is only as healthy as the families that are represented in the church. And that those families are only as healthy as the marriages that are represented within those homes. And, and the importance on having peace in our home and health in our home because it brings overall health to the body. And it's the same way uh, in our families uh, that we need to have that unity in, inside of our homes. And many times that it's difficult uh, because uh, some of the deepest wounds that we have in our life come by the people that are closest to us. You know, the, the, the family members, a friend, a father, a mother-in-law, a, a child, a, a, a parent, you know, there's different dynamics. And sometimes those wounds that we experience from family members are the ones that seem to be the deepest. They're the ones that seem to be the hardest to overcome. And, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is just the fact that the more you're around somebody the higher the opportunity for offense to take place. And so that just there's more opportunity to be hurt by our family members or by our spouse or our kids or our parents than there is for anybody else just because we spend so much time together or uh, you know away from each other, whatever the case may be, you, there's, there's more opportunity there. But the other thing that I think causes uh, a, a difference in how deep a wound can be is the expectation gap. So if I go to Walmart and I encounter somebody and they're a little bit rude to me, you know, just going through, especially during this time of year, come on, I mean, it's starting to get crazy out in the stores now. Everybody kind of pushing, trying to get gifts and stuff, bumping into you along the way and all this stuff, you know. And so if I'm out and I'm doing Christmas shopping and somebody bumps into me and doesn't apologize or somebody is a little bit rude or something, like I'm not greatly offended by that because my expectation of people 
in Walmart is kind of here. Okay? So if they are rude to me and they treat me with this amount of respect, you know, there's a little bit of a gap there. But overall, I'm not deeply wounded or anything like that. But when it comes to our family and people that are close to us, and this is even our church family, and this is why church wounds hurt so bad many times, is our expectation for our family is up here. And so they can even treat us better than what the people at Walmart did. But if you look, there's a much bigger gap that's there. And that expectation gap is what causes those wounds to go a little bit deeper. You know, that's why so many people get hurt by the church or by a pastor or something is because there's this expectation that pastors should be up here and never have a bad day and everything. But sometimes if they have a bad day or forget a name or, you know, something like that, then and they treat you kind of here, the expectation gap leads to an opportunity for a greater wound or a greater offense. But what I love about Scripture is, is that Scripture puts out people in their true form. Like, it doesn't make the modern hero, or the the biblical heroes that we look up to, like they were completely perfect. You see their faults. You see their failures. You see their family drama and things that go on behind the scene. And so for some of us, it's like, okay, my family isn't completely crazy. Like, people have been like this throughout all time, you know? I mean, it's like, you, you see those things that are there, and it helps you be able to relate and even able to, how to overcome. And I think a couple stories that you see with uh, people that have been wounded, I, I think about David. You know, David was, uh, uh, he was one of, uh, had old, seven older brothers, and, and you remember Samuel was coming to anoint the king, and Jesse didn't even bother to invite David. He leaves him out watching the sheep. He brings all the older brothers, and, and Samuel looks at all the older brothers, and he's like, listen, none of these are, are him. Do you have anybody else? And Jesse's response was like, yeah, I mean, the youngest one, but he's just out watching the sheep. I mean, like, I mean, he didn't even, he, he, he didn't think enough to invite him, but then even when Samuel was like, is there anyone else? He was like, just David? I mean, and Samuel's like, I'm not leaving. We're not going to sit down and eat. We're not making a sacrifice until David's here. And then David is anointed as king, right? And so you think now he should get a little bit of respect from his brothers and his family. But what do you see? One of the next stories that you read, he's watching a sheep. Jesse sends for him. And now he's the DoorDash guy for his brothers. His brothers are hungry. And so he's got to go deliver the food to his brothers. When he gets there to deliver the food, the older brother looks at him and says, I know the insolence is in your heart. I know you're just here because you want to see a fight. And, all. and so now he's being falsely accused by his brothers. And then he goes out and he defeats the giant. So things are going to get better in his life now, right? I mean, he defeats the giant. All the women are singing about how David has killed his ten thousands and Saul has killed his thousands. So life is going to be good now. Until his father-in-law gets jealous and tries to spear him to the wall. Twice. And then picks 3,000 of his soldiers, of his best soldiers, and starts chasing David through the wilderness for years. Like not a couple days, not a couple months, but years David is running for his life from his father-in-law. Come on, that's some family drama. 
Do we have anybody in here that your father-in-law has hired a hitman for you? Like, I mean, we, we, that's a whole different level of crazy that's going on. And then he has a son that tries to overthrow him. Like, there is all kinds of craziness and things that are in there. And I love it that the Bible doesn't hide these things. You think about Joseph. Joseph has a dream, and, and I think a lot of times people look at Joseph like, oh, poor little Joe, why are they being so mean to him? But like Joseph, when he's telling his brothers, he's telling them his dream, he's like, hey, yeah, I had a dream, and in my dream, all of y'all were bound down at me. <laughs> y'all want to practice now and start getting this on the road? Or what, what? And then he's like, oh, and I had another dream, and mom and dad, you were bowing down to me too. And his brothers get so mad and so frustrated with him that they were going to kill him, but they were like, you know, there's no profit in this whole murder thing. So if we sell him into slavery, at least we can make a little bit of money off of him. And they sell him into slavery. When he's sold into slavery, he gets hired by Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him, and he gets thrown in prison because he was accused of rape, and he had never even did anything. He's sitting in prison. He interprets two people's dreams. It comes true. One of them's restored to, the, to Pharaoh to serve in Pharaoh's office. And then uh, he says, hey, remember me when you get back to Pharaoh. And guess what? He forgot him. And he sits in prison for another two years. You just see all of these things going on, all this struggle and, and opportunity and stuff for offense and bitterness and all of that to begin to settle into the heart. But you also see later that Joseph, although he could have killed his brothers when he was raised to that position, that he never took revenge on his brothers. And why was that? Because Joseph dealt with the issues that were going on in his heart. And so we're going to talk about what the Bible says about how do you pursue peace with difficult people? How, what do you do what is our response when there's conflict? Some of you, Thanksgiving dinner, you're not looking forward to it because you know so-and-so is going to be there. How do I handle that? How do I work with it? Well, let's look at what God's Word says. Romans chapter 14 is where we were last week. We're going to read one more verse from there in verse 19. It says, so then we shall pursue these things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. So he says that our responsibility as the church is that when there's a situation where there's conflict, where there's a situation where there's division, that it's our job to begin to pursue peace. In Psalms 34 verse 14, it says this, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Peter quotes this psalm in 1 Peter chapter 3 and says that he must turn away from evil and he must do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. If you look in all of those scriptures, it puts the responsibility upon the believer to seek peace and to pursue it. Too many times, we wait for people to make their peace. Like, we want them to come to us and apologize, and if we felt their apology was heartfelt enough, and we feel like they are sorry enough, then we might forgive them and release them. And then some people like to drag this thing out. 
Like, you're going to try to have to earn my forgiveness. So it's like, hey, I'm sorry. And? I'm sorry, and it would never happen again. And? I'm sorry, and it would never happen again. And here's a bouquet of flowers. And? Like, you just want more and more and more because you want to see how sorry that they really are. But that's not the way that Jesus tells us to deal with this. It's not the way that Scripture tells us. Jesus taught on this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. He said, you have heard it of ancient that you shall not murder, but whoever commits murder is, shall be answerable in court or shall be uh, charged in court. But he says, but I say to you, whoever is angry with your brother is answerable in court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be, be guilty enough to go into a fiery hell. Come on, how many know Jesus isn't playing about this anger thing? He says if you have been angry enough to begin to call people names, if you've been angry enough to where you're responding in anger towards someone or lashing out at someone, that what you deserve is the, the, the punishment that a murderer would have of separation in a fiery hell. That's what we deserve. Too many of us, we belittle the anger and we justify the anger and we excuse the anger and we accept the anger. And many of us, we embrace our anger and we coddle our anger and we fuel our anger even more. to try to make it stronger and stronger and stronger. But that anger, all it does is destroy you. All it does is it affects your other relationships. Anybody ever been mad at somebody at work and then you come home and you, you, you spout off to your spouse or you, you fuss at your kids or something like that? What is that? That's consequences of your anger. And so now because you're angry with this individual, it's allowed you to sow anger into the hearts of these other people, which is just going to uh, perpetuate more and more anger and more and more wounds. It's something that we have to begin to deal with. In Ephesians, Paul said this. He said, listen, be angry, but do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Neither give the, de the devil an opportunity. One translation says, don't give the devil a foothold. You see, anger, we have to realize, is an open door for the enemy to begin to attack us in other areas of our life. You're angry at somebody and you're, you're not dealing with the anger that's in your heart and that's just enough of an open door for the enemy to come in and attack you in the area of lust. Your anger with somebody is just enough of an open door that the devil will come in and he's like, okay, I'm not going to deal with the anger thing because that's keeping my, the door open a little bit. I'm going to try to destroy their marriage. Let me get in there and try to, let me try to mess with their marriage with infidelity or adultery or something like that that's going on or alcoholism or drug addiction or something. Many times we're worried about the outward fruit of, uh, of alcoholism or drug addiction or yelling and losing our our temper when the root of it is unforgiveness that we've allowed to stay inside of our heart 
And he says, you've got to realize that that anger that you have toward that family member, that it's opening up the door for the enemy to begin to attack you. And you've got to deal with that sin. You've got to deal with that anger. And that's why he said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Many of us have let many sons go down on the wrath and come back on our wrath and go down on the wrath. And it's been in that cycle for years. And some of us, we don't even know why we're mad. We just know we don't like them. Well, what happened? I don't know. Some of us wonder why we struggle in areas of sin or depression or alcoholism or pornography addiction or these type of things. And it's because we've left this open door. And that's why Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, 15 that many will be defiled by the root of bitterness. That bitterness is like, hey, it just leaves an open door just enough for the enemy to begin to hit you in other areas And some of you wonder why you can't get an area of sin or struggle under control. I'm telling you, a vast majority of people who are struggling with sin that they don't know why they're struggling with sin or they feel depressed and they don't know why they feel depressed or they feel mad and they don't know why they feel mad, the majority of it is rooted in some level of unforgiveness or bitterness. That someone has hurt them and they never dealt with the issues. But Jesus didn't just say, hey, if there's anger in your heart, you need to deal with the anger. Realize that anger is equivalent to murder and, and that it, it can lead you apart from Christ and, and, and that the end result could be a fiery hell. Like that's, that's, Don't just realize that. But he goes on in verse 23 and he says, therefore, if you were making an offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you. So first he deals with if you've got anger in your heart towards someone realize what it's going to do now he says even if you realize that you have offended somebody and they got something against you he says leave your offering before the altar go first be reconciled to your brother and then come back and present your offering there's many times in scripture like in the old testament stuff where jesus would just look at him and say listen or god would tell him i'm I'm tired of your songs i'm tired of your singing I'm tired of all the outward expressions of praise because your heart is nowhere near what my heart is. Jesus is very clear of what his heart is. He doesn't want us just raising our hands and singing and, and, and pretending like nothing's going on in our life. He wants us to realize that the anger that we have in our heart toward individuals, that that is causing issues that are in, in our relationship with him. And then if we allow other people to stay offended, we're not humble enough to go and apologize even if we don't think we did anything wrong. He said, just leave the gift, go be reconciled. I would rather have reconciliation than the gift that you bring me. I would have, rec- I would, I, I, how many parents, like, for Christmas, you would rather have your kids get along than anything your kids could buy you? <laughs> like, I'm going to get shouted down on that one. Like. <laughs> and it's the same way with God. I just want, I just want peace. Have you ever had that as a parent? And she's like, I just want five minutes of peace, please. Like, I don't care what you have to do. Just quiet five minutes, please. 
And God's the same way. But Jesus is saying, listen, your problems are not going to go away. Paul was saying, you, you can't just let time pass. You know, that whole thing of time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Because if you don't allow, if you don't deal with the issue, if you don't deal with the hurt, if you don't deal with the wound, then it, it's not just going to magically go away. It's going to stay there and it's going to fester and it's going to come up in other areas. Jesus basically says, if you're mad, deal with it. If someone is mad at you, deal with it. It doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. What matters is, is that we are men and women enough and, and love each other enough to address the issue and bring reconciliation and peace to the issue. So many of you, there may be that person. There might be a whole list of people. But I'm telling you, God is telling his church, I want my kids healed. I want them free. I want them to have joy. Some of you, you haven't had joy in years. I'm going to tell you, your joy is going to be on the other side of pursuing peace and doing anything that you have to do it. Just to trust God and honor God and take him at his word. I'm going to give you a few tips for pursuing peace and having tough conversations with people. The first one is be a good listener. <laughs> Many times we think, okay, I'm going to have a conversation. And our plan is to go in and just blast them with everything that they ever did to us and why we're angry and why they're wrong and why they should apologize to us right now. And that's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. In James 1, he says, Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear. So in other words, put a priority not on what you're going to say, but what they are going to say. Listen. Be quick to hear. It says you need to be slow to speak. Many times we cut people off as they are telling us what the issue is. We're telling them how they're wrong and why it's in, incorrect. And like we're cutting them off or, or we're jumping in on, on things and stuff. And he's like, listen, just take the time to hear what they had to say. Take the time to hear what's on their heart. Because I can tell you this, in every argument and every fight, there are two sides to it. And there's nobody who is the victim all the time. There is a part of it where we have to take ownership for what we said, the way we, what we did, what we didn't do, what we should have done, whatever it is. He says, be slow to anger. Because the anger of man will never produce the righteousness of God. If you go into a conversation and you're sitting there listening and all it's doing is just fueling anger and you're just ready to fight, listen, you're not going to have a righteous result come out of that. God tells us that we are to be slow to speak. In other words, we need to listen and we need to process what they're saying. And we need to address what's going on. Second thing is this, is you don't deflect and you don't make excuses. <laughs> From the original sin... Man has always tried to deflect and blame someone else for their sin. Think about it. 
this woman you gave me, God, you, you remember, you put me to sleep and you took a rib out and you gave me her and look what she did. So this is your fault because you gave her to me and this is her fault, but this can't be my fault. But when you look at that, it says that Adam, that, that Eve ate the fruit and turned and gave it to Adam. It doesn't say Adam was around the block and he came, Eve, what are you doing? Don't eat the fruit. Don't do it. He was standing there the whole time. God had given him authority over the serpent. The minute that the serpent began to talk, Adam already had authority. He could have got rid of the serpent, but he didn't. He could have knocked the fruit out of Eve's hand, but he didn't. But yet when, he get, when it comes to the realization of having to address what was in his heart, he's like, oh, it ain't me. That's you and her. And then what did she do? The serpent, God, that you created and you put in the garden. And she's probably thinking, and he was supposed to stop me, but he didn't. Some leader he is. Spiritual head, I can't believe that. Well, what is it? It's, it's deflecting. It's like, I can't take ownership for what I did. Listen, we have got to begin to hear what they say and versus respond back with what they did wrong to us. We've got to hear what they say and don't blame it. Don't tell them, well, that's because you did this or because you said this or you remember when you did this, that's why I did this. Just own it. Just own it. The next thing is you don't retaliate. So some of you, like, you're good for listening for a while. You just kind of sit back and you listen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You done? And then, boom. Like, we're guns ablazing. We're just telling them everything that they ever did, everything we ever thought they did, everything they didn't do, everything they should have done. Like, we're just unloading on them, retaliating and everything. Listen. Do not use this conversation with an opportunity as an opportunity to vent on that person all the frustration that you have toward them. In fact, I want to challenge you to something. Don't retaliate at all. Don't say, but when you did, just let it go. You remember how I said that Joseph was able to provide for his family and everything when they came in? You know why Joseph was able to do that? Because Joseph had forgiven them. Think about this. If Joseph was wounded, and he was still wounded when he was promoted to second command of all of Egypt. Remember, the only person greater than him is Pharaoh. Now remember, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar threw him in prison for years for something that he didn't even do. He now, as second command, is over Potiphar. And he could have retaliated and had revenge and threw Potiphar in prison and threw Potiphar's wife in prison and made them sit in the same prison cell that he had to. 
But he didn't do it. Why? Because he had dealt with what was going on in his heart. And if you look at the story of Joseph, guys, listen. Remember, he has the dream, right? That, he, that his brothers were going to bow down before him. The problem was, Joseph was in Canaan, and Joseph would have stayed in Canaan because his dad was basically giving him a free ride. He didn't have to work. He didn't have to do nothing. All the brothers had to work. He had it easy at home. He wasn't getting ready to leave Canaan anytime soon. But because his brother sold him into slavery, it brought him to Egypt. Then he was promoted to the top of Potiphar's house and was over all of Potiphar's house. Well, being a leader of Potiphar's household is not going to connect him to Pharaoh in any way, shape, or form. So Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. He's thrown into prison. When he's in prison, there's two people who worked for Pharaoh that he interpreted their dreams. Remember this? One of them was restored to Pharaoh. And when he was restored to Pharaoh, two years later when Pharaoh had a dream, he's like, hey, I remember this guy that was in prison. And he interpreted a dream. And it was the very thing that led to the fulfillment of the dream that God had in his life. Being sold into slavery got him to Egypt. Being falsely accused got him to prison. He operated in his gift, even in the pit of a prison, and that eventually brought him to the palace. Everything that had been done wrong to him in his life was actually transportation getting him closer and closer to the fulfillment of the call of God that he has on our life. When that scripture says that God works all things to the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose... It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfect situation by situation in your life. There will be some bad things that happen in your life. However, if we learn how to handle them biblically and trust in God's sovereignty and power, then no matter how dark the days and how many people attack us or offend us or wrong us or accuse us or whatever, God still can get us where we need to be. Our responsibility is to watch the heart. And here's the thing, you never see where Joseph's brothers apologize. They didn't. They got scared. <laughs> they, when he realized, they were like, oh, Lord. It said that the brothers were like looking at each other and could not speak. They're all thinking the same thing. We gone. And then they're probably blaming the brother whose idea it was to sell him into slavery. Guys, you can forgive people without them ever apologizing. And can I tell you something? You need to forgive people even if they don't apologize. We need to stop demanding their acknowledgement of being wrong. And we need to stop demanding an apology. But it's the least that they could do. I deserve it. No, you don't. Jesus told us what we deserve. Our anger deserves a place in hell. 
our sin deserves a place in hell. So we don't deserve anything but hell. So anything outside of that is a bump up. Can I get an amen? Joseph had to forgive them. He had to release them. That's the final thing when it comes to whoever's hurt you, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad it hurts, no matter how, if they're still currently doing it, you have to forgive them no matter what. And I know that's like, but how? I've tried, Pastor Brandon. I've prayed, I've tried. Forgiveness is a process. It's not an event. It's not a one time, I forgive you. And it's all good. And it's definitely not what the world says, well, you can forgive but not forget. Listen, that is not what the Bible says either. It's a process. So when those thoughts come up of anger and frustration and all that, again, and you abandoned me, you neglected me, you did this, you said this, you acted this way, you know what you do? Father, I release forgiveness. Father, bless them because they did not know what they were doing. God, forgive them and don't hold this account against them. Well, they keep on doing it. Well, when Stephen was being stoned to death, the minute that he prayed for them to be forgiven, he, they didn't stop throwing rocks. They continued. But you see something. It says, Stephen looked up into the heavens and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now you go study in Scripture. Every other time you see Jesus, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So what's different? Stephen followed such radical obedience in forgiveness. He prayed, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. That Jesus stood up. That's my boy. That's why I went to the cross. For that. So that they would love the way that I love. So that they would forgive the way that I forgive. And that's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When we hold on to forgiveness and bitterness and anger and all of these things, this is right after that, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It says, don't grieve the Spirit of God for whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. But all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander must be removed from you along with all malice. But instead be compassionate, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. The same level of forgiveness that Christ offered to us, which was what? Cast the sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. That's the level of forgiveness that God asks from us. And many people are like, I, don't, I, don't, I can't do that. You're right. 
You can't do it in your industry because your love is imperfect. And that's why you have to allow God to love through you. And Paul even wrote what that looks like. And Jesus talked about it, about loving your enemies and all of that. Paul said something very similar in Romans chapter 12. He's, he said, bless those that persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. So don't get excited when somebody that you see as an enemy is weeping. And don't be sad and depressed when you, somebody that you see as an enemy is rejoicing. But live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the, lovely, uh, the lowly. And never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thoughts to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Listen, there are some people that you're going to try to approach and try to walk through forgiveness with and have conversation with that they just want to stay angry, they just want to stay mad, but everything that is inside of you is not retaliating out of anger, but pursuing peace. I told a story before I had a kid in high school and for whatever reason didn't like me. There were many times after a basketball game, a football game, something, he would show up and he would be screaming at me, cussing me out and all this stuff, wanting to fight me. And I was like, man, look, if I did anything to offend you, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to fight you. I just go shake his hand. I'll just turn and just walk away. Just go on. This went on. I mean, every time he drove by my house, I knew it because he would kick his truck out of gear and he had tailpipes and he would just rev up his engine to make it as loud as he possibly could. And so it didn't matter what time of day or night, like seriously, every time he drove by my house, that's what I hear. If I'm out in the yard, I'm hearing some words coming my way and he lets me know that I'm number one every time he drove by. I guess he liked my basketball skills and stuff, you know. This went on and on. I mean, even one point, I'm sitting in a classroom. I'm in the very front seat of the classroom, and I hear desks and chairs flying. And I turn around, and he is running in the back of the classroom straight at me, trying to fight me again. I'm saying, hey, look, man, I don't know what, I don't know why you're mad, but, like, he just did not want he did not want peace. This was my entire high school year life, I'm just telling you, until my senior year. And this guy decided he was going to enter into the tough man contest. And he went over to the armory and he got in the ring in the tough man contest. And within 10 seconds, he got knocked out of the ring in the tough man contest. Ear bleeding, just busted up. I mean, literally, it was 10 seconds of a fight he's done he's knocked out he's gone I'm walking out and he comes around the corner and I'm like oh my gosh are you serious like and he's just standing right there and he just looks at me he's like all right everybody else is running their mouth what do you got to say and I was like man 
Nobody else was brave enough to get in that ring. Don't worry about them. And finally, it stopped. No more revving of the engine. No more telling me I was number one. He always used the wrong finger for some reason, though. It's just, I don't know if somebody just didn't teach him properly. I mean, it was just, well, it was an act of kindness. I had an opportunity to put him down while he was hurt, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to rejoice when my enemy's weeping. And that's what he says. He says, don't avenge yourself, but leave the wrath up to God for vengeance is mine, I will repay. To the contrary, if you see your enemy hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you are heaping burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, some of y'all, y'all like that part about vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Because y'all think like God's going to like shoot them with a lightning bolt. You know, God's going to make them go bald at age 19. You know, he's something, I mean, just. But why would God overcome evil with evil when he tells you not to overcome evil with evil? That's why he tells you, pray that I'll bless them. Because God's desire is not revenge and retaliation. God's desire is reconciliation. Don't be a Jonah who God told him to go preach and he didn't want to do it because he didn't like the people. He had something against them. He goes and preaches and 125,000 people are saved. Like, should be excited. Like, revival, 125,000 people. Even the donkeys are fasting. Like, like it's, it's a big deal. All the animals are fasting too. The king and everybody. And where's Jonah? Jonah's just sitting up on the hill. It's like, okay, God, when's this show going to get started? Fire and brimstone now. Come on, God, like, now. Nothing? Because that's not the way that God wants us to act. And he's not going to act outside of his own character. God is love. God wants reconciliation. God wants restoration. Now we have to align our heart to his and pursue his will, not ours. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.